0: Today. And the reason for the different prayer this morning is the fact that we have heard a story today that many of us have probably heard before. Most likely, you've heard it in its entirety, multiple times in church, you learned it in Sunday school. Even those among us or those we know who are not believers in Jesus Christ are likely familiar with the phrase, the Good Samaritan. But I want to ask you to do something today. It's so easy when we come to a familiar passage in the Bible to be so familiar with it and so accustomed to it and know so much about it. Especially, I know we are in a room full of Bible scholars, folks who have studied it. You know so much. You wonder sometimes what else is there to glean. And there is always more to glean from the Word of God, but sometimes stories like this are a little bit tougher. That's the only thing I don't like about this passage. When, I am getting, when I'm getting ready in the years that it comes up in the lectionary to preach on it, I have to go before the Lord and say, what else is there to say? What else can I say? And so friends, I invite you today as we pray and as we move into this reflection to try as hard as possible to do something that's difficult. And that is to think about this story as if you've never heard it before. Try to listen to it with fresh ears for maybe something I will say or maybe something the Spirit will speak to your heart or maybe something that you'll see when you read it later after you get home. But let us ever be ready to pray and to listen for fresh revelation from the Lord. Let us now go before God in prayer. Oh Lord, open our hearts once again to hear your voice as your word is opened. May the familiarity of a story not become a fog that impedes us from seeing your revelation. Whether through the words of my mouth or in the quiet meditations of our hearts, let us hear your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage begins... In chapter ten, or we we heard it today, beginning in chapter ten and verse twenty-five, and I want to ask you though, if you've got your Bible open, to look back in Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-one, because something is happening here in Luke nine verse fifty-one that is so important for us in understanding and hearing the story fresh today. In Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-one, it's we are simply told by Luke the writer that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem like a flint. Only nine chapters, about nine long chapters into Luke's gospel, he tells us that Jesus is focused on the cross and he has started a journey toward that cross. And that is what he has in his eyes. Over half of this gospel is devoted It is devoted to Jesus being on this journey, Jesus being on his way to the place where he will lay down his life for us. And what we see happen, Jesus is walking along. I invite you to, if you've ever seen the movie Forrest Gump, and I know I've referred to Forrest Gump before. This is probably about the third or fourth time I have. But if you've seen it, there is a portion in there where he is where Forrest goes for a run and he just decides to run and he's running and he's running and he's running and he has a purpose. He has a destination even if we don't fully understand it. Forrest is focused and he has something he's going towards and as he's running people start to join him and some come along and ask him questions. Now here's the thing friends, Jesus is not Forrest Gump. We can learn a lot about Jesus through Forrest Gump but Jesus, like Forrest, is focused on something. He's traveling. He's not running, but he is walking with intention. And Jesus invites us today to walk with intention with him. And just like with Forrest Gump, somebody comes up and asks him a question. Some stay and some go. The lawyer that we encounter today comes to Jesus And he asks him a question, and Jesus is looking towards Jerusalem. And this is what I imagine happening. Here in chapter 10, verse 25, the man approaches and Jesus is still walking. The man asks the the first question, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus answers him. They're walking along. And then, but once again, Jesus tells them, you get an A+. You got the answer right. Well done. Go and do this. And the man in verse 29, though... That The scripture tells us he wants to justify himself. He's saying, Jesus, give me the details. Give me the nitty-gritty of what I need to do to heal myself. What do I need to do to be made right with God in my own, in my own life? He's completely and utterly self-focused. And, G- and he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Clarify for me who is my neighbor. This passage would be more accurately titled. We often refer to it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I would venture to say a better title for this passage, and this may be true in some of your Bibles even, would be defining the neighbor. Defining who the neighbor is. Because that's the question that I believe at this point, or at least in my imagination, this is how I see it. And I invite you to imagine as well how you might see it. That the man asks this question, and Jesus stops and he turns to the man and he looks at him and then he tur- and facing the man looking towards him he then turns and he faces back towards Jerusalem and he tells the story standing still with intention but with his eyes toward the cross Friends, we should always, when we are asking questions of Scripture, when we're listening to a teaching, when we're listening or reading about a new theology, and we wonder, is this of God? Is this right? Is this wrong? Always, we should always ask ourselves, what does this book, what does this theology, what does this teaching do with the cross of Jesus Christ? How does it handle what the cross is and what that means for us? And that's because Jesus, that was his point of focus. His point of focus, his standard, his compass was the cross toward which he was going. The sacrifice and the love that he would offer to us. And so Jesus is answering this question. He's present with the man, but he's focused On the cross, and so should we be also. And we know how, and we've heard already today how the story starts. He said, instead of just telling the man, this is who your neighbor is, he says, let's figure this out together. And he begins the story about a man who was robbed and beaten and left half dead. And we hear about a priest and a Levite walking by. I'm not going to get into that today. I encourage you, though, to go home and with your study Bibles, with your resources at home, read more about those two verses, study more about what that means. But I want to focus today on what happens in verses 33 and, 30, and following. In verse 33, we hear a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. At this point in the story, the man who is questioning Jesus would have probably gasped. He would have probably would have said he would have been shocked at this point, because the priest went by, the Levite went by, but for Jesus to say the Samaritan was the one that stopped, the man was likely thinking the Samaritan well, I won't go near a Samaritan. They were enemies of each other. The Galileans and the Samarians, they hated each other. It was a history of hate, and it was also current political, the current political situation that they just avoided each other. They were completely a- a- apart from each other. And yet, here is Jesus looking towards the cross, the place where division is broken down, and he's talking to a man who is so consumed by division, and that is all he knows. But here, this is where the story changes. A Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw the man in the ditch, verse 33, he was moved with pity. I'm guessing some of your translations in your Bible say that he was moved with compassion. And I want to focus on that word, pity, or compassion, for a moment here. Amy Jill Levine, who is a uh, New Testament scholar, writes this. Compassion can be felt in the gut, Mercy needs to be enacted with the body. Compassion is felt in the gut. Mercy is enacted with the body. Let me explain what that means. The word here that Jesus uses for compassion or pity, it has a physical dimension to it. It is actually, it, it involves being doubled over in pain, being incapacitated with an agony and with the pain. I am guessing everybody here at some point in their life has had a really bad stomach ache right some kind of maybe not even just a stomach ache but an ache in your arm or it's somewhere in your body that it's just so overwhelming that you can't move or you just have to be still for a bit To let it pass by. Well, this is actually like a doubled over. This compassion is a doubled over kind of pain. He's so moved and so heartbroken for this man in the ditch that he actually stops and is physically affected by it. And compassion will do that to us. The Holy Spirit uses compassion in us to double us over with the aches and the pains of this world. And He calls us to intercede for them, but He also calls us to enact with the whole body. Remember the analogy that the church is like the body, like a human body? The church as a body must enact that mercy. Not just say, wow, I'm moved with compassion, but I am moved with compassion to the point of doing something about it. Acting in a way that God leads us and guides us. And that is what this Samaritan, this this Samaritan does. In verse 34, listen to what he does. He goes to him. He bandages his wounds. Pours oil and wine on the wounds. He puts the man on his own animal, brings him to an inn, takes care of him, and the next day he takes out two denarii, gives it to the innkeeper, and says, Take care of him. I'm coming back, and I'll repay you when I come back. Friends, remember this. This Samaritan in Jesus' story, this man in the story... He had somewhere to be. We don't know where he was going. We don't know if somebody was holding up dinner for him when he got home. None of that mattered, though, because there was a need for mercy right then, right there, and he had the means to do that, and this took a tremendous amount of time. You know, it's easy for us a lot of times to just do something, to put a Band-Aid on something, to do a quick fix of a need, but what we see happening here, this act of mercy is also an act towards justice. A work that is, try, that is not just, a, you know, just dropping him off at the end, but saying, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do more for you. And Jesus is showing us here, this is what it means to be a neighbor. Not just to love the neighbor. Remember, the question was not, how do you love the neighbor? The question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, who your neighbor is, is the person who does these Things. This is the one who stops and responds with compassion and with mercy to the needs right in front of us, regardless of who the people are. When that Samaritan looked in the ditch, he didn't see someone from a different political system, he didn't see somebody from a different ethnicity, he didn't see somebody who grew up in a land that he avoided. He saw a person in need of mercy. And that was the thing about that day and time, Samaritans and Jews lived very close to each other, but they were very near each other geographically, but they avoided each other. They despised each other. And John Wesley, the one of the founders of the United Methodist Church that we celebrate today, loved the sermon. John Wesley loved the sermon with an all-caps kind of love and he preached on it multiple times and he made a statement that I want to share with you very slowly and break down because it was it's in 19th century language and it took me about 10 readings this week to actually understand what it meant but I want us to try to break it down because I think it is still and still so relevant and gets to the heart of what's happening here John Wesley wrote this we must renounce the bigotry and the party zeal that contract our hearts into an insensibility for the human race. Let us renounce bigotry and party zeal. When, when he talks about parties, he's talking about political parties. He's talking about parties that do not that, that are supposed to be working together but often are driven apart by their zeal for certain suffer certain causes. And, he's, and John Wesley is saying to us here we and we're interpreting this passage that we have to renounce the bigotry that develops the party zeal that contracts our hearts because when our when that happens our hearts shrink. In the, towards mercy and compassion, our hearts shrink to, from what Jesus did on the cross, and it is in its influence in the way we look at the human race friends, we are quick in this day and age, just like in John Wesley's day and age, to label one another. And especially now in the tense, in our tense political climate, not just in this nation, but throughout the world, aren't we so quick to say, well, that's a Democrat, that's a Republican, that's a moderate, that's a libertarian, that's not who I am, this is who I am. We become more and more self-focused, and it extends over into liberal and conservative and moderate and ultra-liberal, ultra-conservative. Every day, it's like there's a new label out there that is that becomes that party zeal that can easily become bigotry, that can shrink our hearts and cause us not to see that we're all the guy in the ditch. Folks, we are all the guy in the ditch. Yes, we want to be the Samaritan. We want to be the one that's helping, but first we got to realize we're all in the ditch together, and we can't get out on our own, and we need each other. Yes, political systems serve their purposes. Yes, parties serve their purposes. In fact, in tension and in conflict, that's when some of the best legislation, some of the best uh, the best decisions and uh, mutual agreements. That we can come to some great mutual agreements in the midst of tension. That's a good thing. The bad thing is when that tension tells us, "I'm better than you are. My way of thinking is better than yours. I watch the better news station than you do." And Jesus is saying to us. Look at the cross, look at the cross, look at the man in the ditch and that is the one that I died for on the cross Jesus is calling us to think better and to be better and not to let those labels consume us but let us use it but let us throw off those labels so that we can all be transformed together renouncing what is wrong and working towards what is right because look at what in verse 34 everything that this man does, to help the man in the ditch is done as an action, bandaging, wrapping, carrying, being his Uber driver, his Lyft driver, taking him to the inn, and then providing for him when when he's there. All of these things that he's done are things that we are meant to do to help One another heal. The lawyer was so focused on how do I heal myself for eternity? And Jesus spends the question on him and says, How are you going to help heal the broken world that I am dying, that I am about to die for? Friends, if our hands and our arms are too busy pointing fingers in accusation and anger. If our hands and our arms and our fingers are too busy typing on social media what our perspective is to the point that we're not out there bandaging, we're not out there lifting people from the ditch, when we get to the point that we're using our hands to divide and to, to divide instead of to bring together, friends, we've got to get back to what Jesus is calling us to do bandage each other, pour oil on the wounds. Let us not be consumed by who, which political party we attain to. Let's help each other. Let's be good neighbors to each other. Not just good neighbors. Jesus is describing to us here what it is to be a neighbor. Be the neighbor that Jesus calls us to be. Put down the tools of anger and accusation. And with open hands and open hearts, let's find ways to lift one another up. Praying for each other, praying for the concerns of our world, going out and working where God calls us to work, being on the lookout just in our daily lives. For instance, if somebody drops something in front of you in line at the grocery store and they're not physically able to pick it up without being in pain, be attentive enough that you can reach down and pick that up for them. It can start small, but the small things can turn into big transition, big change. Big transformation when we do it in the light of the cross. As we go forth today, Jesus says to us simply, the man, he asks the man, who was a neighbor? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus tells us something so simple, it's almost, too, it's almost hard. Go and do the same. Go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. Don't just be moved with compassion, but let compassion compel you to enact with the whole body of Christ what is mercy, what is grace, and what is justice that flows from the throne of God the Father, who lives and reigns with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.